TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Colors on this Wednesday, January 10th edition of the show. It's hump day, middle of the week. We are trudging along. I continue to deal with the sadness infection, as you can probably hear from my nasally voice. Philip Pilkington is producing. He's behind the glass with his germs, not feeling so great. Bobby Howard has stepped into it. But, hey, I'm, I've been told by the doctors I'm not contagious. But how does it feel to uh, to be in uh, the sick ward? Yeah, I'm trying to get, a, get out of here germ-free. <laughs> that is good news. You're not contagious. Phillips, stay out of here. <laughs> as he comes in to fix the camera. Uh, yeah, so we are live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter as well. If you've got a question, drop it there. We'll get to it throughout the next hour. Bobby Harward brought to us today by Subdogs. You guys know the deal. Check them out. Downtown Greenville and the home of the Sup Crush. Home of uh, Crush Vodka, that, that that will open soon across the street as well as they're waiting on that. So check them out. Sub Dogs, our Sub Dogs show through the ECU Sports Network, also scheduled to return either late January or February. So we'll have that for you. So Sub Dogs brings us Bobby Harward today. All right, Bobby, we got a lot to discuss. We've got NFL playoffs we can get into. We can get into NFL coaching moves as well. We also got some big news on the ECU front, potentially, so we will start there. And it was reported last night, we've been working on this story for a couple of days of Hoist the Colors, Jake Garcia, former Miami quarterback, former four-star recruit, Missouri transfer, I would say at this point likely heading to ECU, not 100% a done deal, but seems likely. He would join Caton Hauser, Raheem Jeter, Cole Hodge, Alex Flynn, others in the quarterback room if he comes, so... What do you make of the news of Jake Garcia to potentially join ECU, who would be the second quarterback transfer the Pirates have picked up? Yeah, I think you, uh, A, you phrased it perfectly because we saw what happened last year with that receiver that committed, uh, moved in, and then went to BYU. So uh, it's not a done deal until he gets here. But for me, uh, honestly, I think ECU knocked it out of the park. I mean, to get two guys like Kaden Hauser and now Garcia now, like, you really couldn't ask for two two better portal quarterbacks to come in here and compete. Um, I think, obviously, it's going to bring competition to the room. And it, it really just takes that quarterback room uh, another level up. It, it kind of gives you a little bit of cushion there, too. Um, if Hauser, you know, gets hurt um, or, you know, if something else happens, hopefully, uh, you know, in the spring, everybody comes out of there healthy. But in case something like that does happen, it gives you a little bit of cushion. And, and again, Garcia is highly recruited. That doesn't mean that he'll necessarily come in here and just be a stud because there is a reason, you know, he's transferred twice and there's a reason that he's here now. But, um, you know, to be your second guy, uh, I love taking a chance on a highly – obviously the tools are there. That's why he was rated as highly as he was. It's just a matter of piecing everything together. I've seen some people say social media that, you know, a some people are fired up because anytime you have the former four star top fifty recruit label, people get fired up about that. But th- there's also the side of, you know, how good is this guy? Really, he didn't play a single snap at Missouri last year. He was the third string quarterback. But for me, Bobby, it's like 
you've already added a guy who could very easily be the starter. Probably, I still would say, is the favorite to be the starter in Kate Hauser. So, like, you got to have realistic expectations for who you're going to get as a second quarterback transfer. And I, I feel like Garcia is probably about as best as you could do. Honestly, that's that's kind of that he's a little bit better than what I expected yep. um, to to be quite honest. And uh, the thing I find most interesting is both of the the new quarterbacks are from California, it which is, is kind of odd. Yeah. So um, again, it, at the very least, it, it provides some competition and some pressure for Kate Hauser. Um, he can't just get comfortable there, um, almost being grandfathered the the QB one position. Uh, we spoke about it a little bit last week, and and how we saw it evolve throughout all of last season. Like they relied so heavily on Mason Garcia to be the guy, and it just they were wrong. So um, to now give yourself a little bit of cushion to be wrong um, is encouraging. Um, I'm excited to see how they compete in spring practice, and I think that's the other big takeaway for me is they got two guys in here now for spring practice uh, that can compete. Yeah, and, and it, you know, it, it's probably tough for Caton because I'm sure they said, hey, you're going to be the guy, et cetera, et cetera. But they also told him they were going to bring another quarterback. And you can't be scared of competition. And from ECU's perspective, they cannot find themselves in the same exact situation as last year where you just did not have any reliable option at quarterback. So they they had to add somebody else. Again, we'll see if this thing becomes final in the coming days. Uh, he would have to be in really by this weekend with the semester already started, but all signs point to that likely happening. And, you know, may the best man win. The other side of this is, Bobby, how do you play it if you're the staff? Because if you name a start at the end of the spring, other guy could transfer too. So it's almost like you want somebody to emerge as the guy, but you also don't want I don't know, to go ahead and name a guy because then you might be back in the same situation where you only have one quarterback you can really count on. Yeah, that's tough. That's a really good point because I, that's a big reason why I just hate what the NCAA is doing right now. Um, I just think it's even, yeah, it, it just sucks all the way around because there's no continuity with any players within that locker room. Uh, as a coach, you don't know who you can rely on to be back year in and year out. And then even in this case, just through spring practice, I mean, there is a very real chance that, you know, if Hauser is, Head and shoulders, the clear favorite to be the number one, and Garcia comes in there and he realizes that, like he's here for one semester and it's gone. So that just sucks. I think if I'm the coaching staff, I I try to long play it a little bit, you know, maybe have some honesty with Garcia. Say we'll just play out the scenario that Hauser's the number one guy out after spring. Just be honest with Garcia. Say, hey, right now, you know, Hauser is has a little bit of a leg up on you based upon what we saw in spring practice, what we've seen on film. We, I'm sure you can see that same tape that we see, uh, but we do want to open it up. We're not solidifying him as a QB1, and we want to keep it an open competition, uh, you know, throughout fall practice and let somebody win the job. And I, I do want to see it be an open competition because in the past with, like, with Mason and Alex Flynn, it was more – all right, Mason got all the number one reps. It was called a competition, but he got 95% of the reps. So, like, it was never really a competition. This, to me, I think you open up 50-50 at least to start with. 100%. One guy makes an edge, right? Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, curious question. I think you know the answer to it. Hauser has three years left, right? Yep. And then Garcia, is that he also have three? So, he has at least two. It's been reported he has three. So, 2021, he played in one game as a true freshman, injured his ankle, missed the rest of the season. And then 22 played, obviously lost eligibility there. 23, he did not play in a single game. So I think what they're trying to do is get the medical redshirt for 21, get a regular redshirt for 23, and he would have three years left. But he's got definitely two 
probably three. So you got guys either way with multiple years of eligibility left. And I don't think it, honestly, seeing Garcia's track record to this point, I don't know if it necessarily matters. Right. That, but he's got a bad, I mean, he, he five high schools in four years, which some of that was due to COVID. And then obviously now three colleges in four years. So he's, he's well traveled. That's for sure. Uh, Samurai says neither of the two are physical runners like Jackson Dart. Do you think the offense will look different than Ole Miss because of that? What was kind of your take on on that? It looks like because Hauser, I would say Hauser probably has a little bit more mobility than Garcia, but both of them are more in the pocket or you know may, maybe make some plays on the run, but not maybe necessarily design runners at the at the quarterback position. I think you'll still see a little bit of design run, maybe not as heavy as what Ole Miss did or what ECU did with uh, with uh, Garcia. I mean, I think regardless, when you have a guy like that, you, you want to try to limit the opportunities for injury as much as possible, and so limiting those design runs, still keeping them in the game plan and keeping them in the playbook from uh, just you know keeping the defense honest. But um, I. I <laughs> That's a good point. I, I don't know how much we'll see. I, I still think we see, you know, the zone read. We're going to see quarterback counter. I think those are some staples in this offense that we'll still see with with either of those quarterbacks, um, but they just may not be called as frequent. So Alex Flynn was in the team meeting Sunday night, and from what I understand, he's was scheduled is scheduled to go through spring ball. What, what do you think? You know, this means for Alex Flynn. Do you think he still sticks around? Does he enter the portal, or does he just? I don't know. Call it. I think he goes through spring practice, see where he is at, and then evaluate from there. I think it's going to, honestly, I think it's going to be a semester-by-semester thing. Uh, And really, it's just this spring semester in the sense of, I don't necessarily see him transferring. Right. Um, I think he's um, is kind of uh, realistic in his view of himself as a quarterback and, and what the future holds in that aspect and the aspect of football and compared to, you know, medical field and what he can make uh, financially from that perspective and, and taking that route. So I, I think he'll go through spring practice, um, evaluate where he's at. Um, even if he, if if he's a surefire number three, I, I think we'll see Alex Flynn just move on and, and proceed uh, academically. Raheem Jeter, I think it's a big spring for him, too. I mean, we haven't really talked about him a lot because I don't think he's going to be the guy this year. But, you know, he kind of has to establish himself now going into year two, new offensive coordinator. Cole Hodge is set to come in this summer. I think this is a vital spring for Raheem Jeter. What are your thoughts on, on him and trying to, you know, Get himself at least a little bit up the up the depth chart up the back in order. Yeah, uh, with the new coaching staff coming in, I think it definitely helps him because Baker's going to be getting eyes on him for the first time. And I, I think between the four of them, the four quarterbacks in that room, uh, assuming Garcia comes, I think they're going to try to split the reps pretty evenly at the start of spring practice. Maybe the first three or four, try to you know, probably I'll say four practices. Maybe you go two quarterbacks one day kind of working with the first and second team and then rotate them every other day for the first four practices. Um, after that, I think you'll start to see some separation. Um, and, and hopefully for Jeter's sake, you know, he has, if he's not in those, that top two, hopefully he can, uh, still get some reps in. I mean, spring's a great time for, for those quarterbacks and those guys to get reps. Uh, I think worst case scenario of what can happen is he's just really, really behind throwing the football and then it kind of sees the writing on the wall and leaves and then you're kind of stuck in a numbers game probably relying on Cole Hodges to be your number three in the fall spring is going to be I mean to me the most interesting has been in years at least since Mike Houston came in really I mean it's just offensively going to be wide open like 
offensive line-wise, I don't really know what they're going to do. Uh, quarterback, running back room, you got some familiar names returning there, but who kind of emerges as the top guys there? So there's going to be a ton of storylines in the spring offensively. So I, I think that'll give us a lot to talk about in March and April. Yeah, I was going to say you're probably going to have no shortage of articles to write. Um, just between, A, this is the first time a uh, new offense for, for Mike Houston dating back to when they ran the triple option at the Citadel. So, I mean, it's been Donnie Kirkpatrick with him ever since then. And then really from the beginning of the Mike Houston era, it was it was Holt Nailers. Like, we knew it was Holt Nailers. There was no question it was Holt Nailers. And then even this past year, like, Mason Garcia had been hyped up so much, we just kind of assumed and thought it was going to be Mason Garcia. So now there's some, you know, question. We kind of have a feeling Hauser may come out winning the job, but just an excitement standpoint too of seeing what this offense looks like because John David Baker has not called plays before. Yes, we we know and can refer back to where he's been offensively, but he's never called plays before. So this is going to be new to see what this looks like and what a John David Baker run offense looks like. Are you a spring game guy? Do you like going to spring games? You know, I used to as a kid. We used to go up to Duke spring games, and I got all excited about doing that just because I was – How well attended were those? (laughs) About as well attended – I'm trying to – Related, I would imagine maybe like an Aiden Grifton football game here okay. in, North, in North Pitt, some smaller level uh, 2A football in eastern North Carolina. But, yeah, not very good. Um, now, I mean, I think I'll probably go in, in the spring. It's something for to do with the kids, get out the house and right. do. And, and normally they have like some moon bounces and stuff, at least they have in years past, like on the turf field that the kids can get on. And um, I am excited to watch just from the newness of this. Um from a coaching perspective, when I was on staff, it really just felt like a scrimmage, a scrimmage with people there. It was just nothing really different from that standpoint. Uh, I don't think it's as fun uh, when there's not like a true purple and gold team with offense and defense on purple and offense and defense on gold. I don't like the purple's offense, gold's right. defense type thing. That's just not as enjoyable for me. Yeah, there's been a couple of those years where like the defense gets points for sacks, TFLs, all that. It's just too much to keep track of. Right. Just give me a game. Yeah. That's what I want. But uh, it always seems like, too, there's bad weather or something surrounding ECU spring games. So hopefully we get good weather this year because I think it will be well attended. It should be a game that has a lot of intrigue. All right. Let's get our first break in. We will come back. We'll maybe talk some ECU basketball. We're also going to talk some NFL playoff picture. I'm also going to get Bobby to go on a rant about David Tepper and uh, the Carolina Panthers as well. Uh, to kill some time because I'm struggling to speak today. All right, this is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. We talked about Jake Garcia, the potential of his addition. Again, he has not officially announced a commitment, but report. Uh, reports broke last night, and we've been working on it. Hoist the Colors and VIP for our members that the former Miami transfer and Missouri quarterback could be heading to ECU to join Kate Hauser. So we discussed that, what it would mean in the first segment. If you've got a question on football, let us know. Otherwise, we're going to transition to other sports. ECU basketball is in action tonight. Winnable game, Bobby. Winnable road game. Temple, have you seen the line on this game yet? I have not. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to guess the line. Temple is eight and seven. ECU zero and seven all time in the Leah Course Center in Philly. ECU also eight and seven. So pretty similar teams. What do you think is the line 
as ECU heads to Temple. Three and a half? Close. Temple is favored by two. So this is a winnable road game, but it's on the road, and it's ECU basketball. And I've had to educate Kaysen Romaley, who helps us out in Hoist the Colors, that ECU basketball on the road is the most difficult thing to watch in the history of sports, maybe outside of the Washington Commanders and the 2023 Carolina Panthers. <laughs> I don't know. Let's rate that. How would you guys? How would you guys compare ECU basketball on the road versus the Carolina Panthers? What is tougher to watch? Right now, for me, the Carolina Panthers. I, I, there is nothing that they can do right now other than actually winning football games that make me believe that things have changed are going to be better. Um, ECU basketball, I think I'm just kind of at the point where like, I, I know it's not very good and I don't expect any change. Philip, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to kind of agree with that. It's just... I think the hard part about the Panthers thing is you know, like, you're so uncertain about the future, which in a sport, in professional sports, because of the way the draft situation works, it shouldn't be that way. But, like, ECU basketball has been what it's been for so long. I've just kind of accepted it, I guess. Well, and that's the other thing with it. Like, ECU basketball is set up at a disadvantage. Like, you know, based upon the conference play, the amount of money they're able to offer NIL to players, just the history and everything there, you know. The NFL is, like, the only league and sport that where, like, everyone is set up at an even playing ground. Like, right, you, every you're set up to go 8-8 eight and eight or 8-8-1. Eight, really eight have to one. screw yourself to be in the situation the Panthers are in. Exactly. And then you have a... I almost had you use the drop button there, Philip. You have a moron as an owner, taking Philip's vernacular there, and you have a moron there who has just completely ruined. Like he came in talking such a big game like this and that, and everything has just fallen flat on its face. So David Tepper, all right, we'll circle back to ECU basketball. David Tepper has fired Scott Fitterer. He's fired all these coaches. Like, can you even get excited about who he's going to hire? Like, is that, you know, you guys are Panther fans, so are y'all excited about him running a coaching and GM search? Absolutely not. In no way, shape, or form. I mean, here's my thing. Like, they hired a search form or search firm or whatever, but like... Hopefully Jeff Koffer is not involved. (laughs) Which, isn't it funny how that works? The guy that's leading the search firm, my friend told me, is uh, the former Chelsea manager or GM or whatever that ran Chelsea into the ground. So he gets this job. All the bad coaches and ADs go to search rooms. It's wild. Which makes zero sense. None. We failed at doing this, but we're going to tell you how to do it yourself and be successful. But, like, I don't know. Tepper is all over, like, social media. It's pretty well known that he's, like, on social media. He's, you know conscientious of what his image is and his view is. And I saw Albert Breer write a piece in Sports Illustrated talking about how they are sensitive to the fact that it's not an attractive job right now. So instead of just requesting interviews, they're getting a feel for the coaches and for the GMs before putting that request in because they don't want to be rejected, which probably explains why they haven't asked Adam Peters or Ian Cunningham or any of the top names in that market because they're probably like, no, kick rocks. Like, I'm going to wait for a much better opportunity. And until Tepper proves that he can stay out of the way, like there, I don't believe it. Um, there Again, there's rumors that he's going to keep Dan Morgan as the assistant GM and bring in a cap guy. Well, to me, yeah, I know G- Dan Morgan's like a beloved Panther and stuff, but 
what difference in separation is there from him and Scott Fitter? Like, is he just going to be another yes man for Tepper and that they're just going to fall in line with whatever Tepper wants to do? Because it's starting to come out more and more that, you know, Bryce Young decision was not as unanimous as everybody thought. And uh, a Panther beat reporter, I listened to an interview with her on, on a Charlotte sports radio station. And, you know, she had said that Josh McNown and, and Frank Wright wanted uh, CJ Stroud. Then on NFL Network, I hear Mike Garofolo say the decision in that building between Young and Stroud was actually closer to 50-50 than it was 0-100 to in favor of Bryce. So it's just coming out more and more now, which we kind of expected that, I mean, Tepper's just doing what he wants, and it's it's freaking frustrating as a fan. So no, to your point, Bobby, though, you said if they bring in Dan Moore or they keep Dan Morgan, would he be another yes man to Tepper? I think Tepper doesn't hire anyone who isn't an automatic yes man. I mean, the likelihood of us getting Jim Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, anybody who's going to put him in his place is less than zero. He's going to hire a yes man. He's worse than Jerry Jones. Look, Jimmy Johnson won back-to-back Super Bowls. They had not lost a game since Thanksgiving Day that year, and Jerry Jones fires him. Why? Because he wasn't a yes man. He brings in Bill Parcells. Parcells did a fine job with the whole Bledsoe-Quincy Carter deal, and I think could have done a great job with Romo, but he fires him. Why? Because he wasn't a yes man. They bring in Jason Garrett. He stays there for the like a decade because he was a yes man. And the Panthers are in the same boat that the Dallas Cowboys have been in since Jerry Jones took over and fired Tom Landry. Non-yes men will never be considered for the job. So to your point, I'm not disagreeing with you, but that's what it's going to be. It doesn't matter what the name is. Tepper's running the organization. He is worse than Dan Snyder and and Jerry Jones combined, and that's saying something. I agree with that. He's way worse from you know being involved. Like it sounds like he's involved to just the simplest of roster decisions. Which, I mean, the thing that always got Dan Snyder was he would come in and just say, "Hey, I want to make a first round pick, and this is who I want." Like it wasn't. I'm not uh, meandering my way into the second to the third round and, and making those decisions or fringe fifty three guys like like Tepper is right now. And that's why, like, I mean, you heard the moron talk about after Bryce's, this is the thing that frustrates me. It is a GM press conference and a head coach press conference after the draft, the first night of the draft, so round one. And then Tepper just comes in off the stage from the side and butts himself into the conversation and then now sounds like a complete idiot because he's like, you know, we don't need to get super skilled receivers and all this stuff. Bryce is a point guard. He can distribute like a point guard, this and that. So they don't get any receivers, and then look what happens this past year. I mean, they were awful. They were completely awful. Bryce had the worst quarterback rating in all the NFL. That's worse than um, Zach Wilson at the Jets. I mean, he got sacked uh, 62 times, I believe. He had 11 touchdowns and 21 turnovers or something like that. Like, it was just awful, and it looked bad. He didn't look good. Uh, Here's my thing with the quarterback, too, is people want to say, well, around him was bad, and yes, it was. But part of the job as the quarterback is to elevate others around you, and at no point really during last season did I think Bryce Young elevated others around him. And and the fact that they're going to put all their money on a 5'11 quarterback when rarely that works in the NFL, it's just, I mean, no doubt C.J. Stroud being as successful as he is adds fuel to the fire, but I, I just think uh, they got it wrong, and it's going to set that franchise back. So you're out 
or starting to be out on Bryce Young. I think so. The other thing that pisses me off about it is I got so excited about Bryce. Like at first, I wanted C.J. Stroud when it was determined that they're going the Bryce Young route. I believed all the S two bullcrap and all the other things that he's going to be successful. So I bought into the Bryce Young train and just another David Tepper train that's going to crash and run off the rails. Casey Romali in the chat. Who helps us out? Hoist the colors. By the way, he skipped ECU's basketball win over Tulsa on Sunday to go watch the Panthers in person and lose 9-0 to the Bucks. Kaysen did that? Yep, Kaysen wow. did that. Basketball junkie, Kaysen Romali. He's also skipping the ECU Temple game tonight to go watch Carolina NC State and Raleigh. That, That'll be that one game. doesn't surprise yeah, me. That, he's, got, he's got a good hookup there, so I don't blame him. Uh, he says, this weekend was my final straw. It was unbelievable. He says, but Mike Vrabel <laughs> is on the way. It will will uh, build our culture back. He says, Young and Vrabel will win Super Bowls. There is zero shot Mike Vrabel is going to work under David Tepper. The only way Young and Vrabel win Super Bowls is if David Tepper steps away and lets Vrabel run his coaching right. staff. That's another point. He freaking... Forces Frank Wright to hire guys on his staff. Like, I mean, we saw it last year with ECU trying to tie ECU into this with Mogridge and Kirkpatrick. Like, that didn't work. And yeah. you're requiring him to work with a whole new offensive staff that he has no experience with. You're not just, and it's not even like they're under the same umbrella. They're multiple umbrellas. And it's just, it makes zero sense to me. And then there's rumors now that he's going to, like, yes, would I love Avero to stay and be the defensive coordinator? Absolutely. Like, I think he's phenomenal. Honestly, I wouldn't mind him being the head coach but at that same point let the freaking head coach hire who he wants like stop trying to butt in everywhere where you have no idea like you don't ask a football person to tell you how to run your stocks don't ask a stock person to tell you how to run your football team cba 0125 says i'm pretty sure every offensive coach that was fired wanted cj stroud so uh yeah it's just a mess in charlotte right now cases says shout out to bobby for your rants. So are you going to make the conversion back to Commander's Fan? Because now they're sitting pretty with a number two pick. How can they blow this? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. How could they blow it? I, I mean, it's exciting. It sounds like Adam Peters may be the new guy there, which he's yeah. like the most sought after uh, GM. And then Ben Johnson, you know, is the betting favorite um, for the new head coaching position, which is the one. Ben Johnson's the guy everybody wants. So unless Tepper gets outrageous and Ben Johnson just like forgets how bad of an owner Tepper is, I could see him in Washington. Uh, I, I'm not, I, I'm still kind of at the, I, I'm rooting totter. Yeah, I'm just Panthers and Commanders right now. If, if, if Tepper continues to be just an imbecile, then yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, I've already stopped paying attention to him, to be honest with you. I'm following the coaching search, just trying to get some hope, but I've really stopped paying attention to anything the Panthers do right now. All right. He is Bobby Howard. His rants today are brought to you by Sub Dogs, 213 East 5th Street, back to back, bar stool, best bar winner and uh, multiple time champion, national champion. They had to change the contest because they kept winning and dominating so much. So check them out. Sub Dogs, downtown Greenville. All right. Let's get a break in. We'll come back. We will talk ECU hoops. Preview the game against Temple. The women are also in action tonight. We'll tell you about that as they host UAB. Wednesday, January 10th edition of Hoist the Colors. We will be right back. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen I Go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back into the show. Wednesday, January 10th edition of Hoist the Colors. I'm wearing my Denver Broncos hoodie. 
And the Broncos are not in the playoffs, but we will be talking some playoffs later. And we'll do that maybe to wrap up the show. Let's talk some basketball, guys. We got started. Somehow we went from ECU basketball to Carolina Panthers. And, uh, you know, there can definitely be some parallels there, which is how we got started. But uh, ECU takes on Temple tonight in men's basketball. Eight and seven on the season, one and one in conference play. First off, did you get a chance to watch any of the Sunday victory over Tulsa? Pirates needed it, Bobby, and uh, they got it. And it was good to see Brandon Johnson hit that big shot. Yeah, I was glad to see them pull out a win. Uh, Tulsa was a little bit like going into the conference play. I didn't know what to really expect from Tulsa. And then watching a little bit of their game against Memphis, I was like, oh, man, we're going to have our hands full with them. And, and to come away with the victory, I mean, for ECU to have success and get around, you know, that five, six mark in conference play, like those are the games that they have to win. And I'm glad that they came out with the victory on Sunday. Yeah, this conference, I just feel like outside of FAU and Memphis, you just kind of have a lot of, like, Solid teams, yeah. Like so, I feel like every game is going to be kind of similar to what we saw Sunday, which is, I think, good from a viewership perspective. It's not like any of these teams are really going to be battling for at-large bids. SMU is maybe on the cusp with a couple of big wins. ECU will host them Saturday, but the Pirates host North Texas next Wednesday. North Texas has been a good basketball program. UAB has been a good basketball program at Wichita. South Florida, Charlotte. UTSA is really the only team that's just, I think, bad. Yeah. And Rice is pretty bad, too. But So I just I just feel like it'll be a pretty entertaining conference season, even though it's been a disappointing start for ECU. Yeah, and that was kind of my ex- expectation with these teams coming in. I think it with these Conference USA teams coming to the American, I felt like it would – you know, from top to bottom, increase the level of play. You know, we we obviously lost our, our top, you know, head honchos, but just, you know, the play from one through team, we'll just say nine, I think is going to be a, a lot better from top to bottom. Um, you know, correlating it to the NFL is, is the American Conference, the NFL of college basketball, just every game yeah. is like one possession. Um, two good teams. Yeah. So it kind of matches up, honestly. Yeah. And, I, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I think Memphis and FAU are going to be tournament locks, and everybody else is just going to be kind of battling. That, yeah, exactly. That was going into conference tournament play. You know, I'm just kind of looking ahead a little bit, I know. But, uh, you know, Memphis and FAU to, are, are the two teams that kind of are head and shoulders above everybody else, in my opinion. Uh, you know, y'all may have a different case and may have a different opinion. We'd love to hear what his thoughts are on YouTube. But I think Memphis is the top dog. I think FAU is number two. Um, so I think Memphis is number one, you know, in, in the conference. But in looking at that conference tournament, like I feel like we would actually have a chance now going forward to you know, go on a run and win a conference tournament. I didn't feel like that with Houston and Cincinnati and UCF. Like there was too many good teams in the conference to, to have to beat um, to, to be able to, you know, make a run like that. You know, you may have to go through Memphis one round and then Houston to win it all right. or whatever, whereas now hopefully you're just playing one in the championship game between Memphis or FAU. Like last year they took on, you know, they beat USF handily in the first round, which was great to see, but then you got to play Houston. Right. And then if, like, they actually played Houston pretty good in the conference tournament, but even if they would have won that game, they would have had to probably beat Memphis or Cincinnati to get to the just to get to the conference championship. Then you got to win again. So it's just it's difficult. But I do think uh, 
you know, it is more realistic now. If you could get, if you could find a way to get in the top five of the league and get that first round by, I think it becomes very realistic. Oh, 100%. And that's what's, you know, thinking about these new teams when they came in, like I, I do think it elevated the conference as a whole, you know, from a, from a basketball and baseball perspective. I think football is really the only yeah. disappointing aspect of it. Uh, granted, we ended up freaking losing to like, all those teams anyway, Everybody. so it really didn't matter, and we'd end up with an egg on our face. But, you know, from from a basketball and baseball perspective, looking ahead to the spring, like I do think it elevates the conference. Taysen says Memphis is two steps above FAU, but without Mills, Caleb Mills, he says they're missing a massive piece. Yeah, Caleb Mills went down with an injury the other day. Pirates will take on Memphis once this year in Minji's Coliseum. I believe that game scheduled for late in the regular season. All right, so ECU at Temple tonight. The team, we did the coaches show Monday at Tiebreakers with Coach Schwartz. They basically left from Tiebreakers, had to fly out early so due to the storms yesterday. So they had, to, they had to get to Philly on Monday night. Did y'all ever, ever have a scenario with football where you had to travel early or late due to weather? No, I think the year after I was gone was when that hurricane came in in South Florida. 16, yeah. yeah. And we had the whole Virginia Tech fiasco, um, you know, with them being buttheads <coughs> about playing the game and stuff. So that canceled that series. That was uh, – I, I want to say Scotty Montgomery really pushed to fly back from South Florida, fly into Virginia, and then drive through the remnants of the hurricane down to North Carolina, and the bus ended up getting stuck. And so they had to stop in a motel. So that whole ordeal was a disaster. As was obviously the Virginia Tech situation, but uh, but yeah, that was uh, I, I I should I should have archived some of the texts I got from that bus that was stuck on the interstate. <laughs> I can only imagine. Coaches are very opinionated. <laughs> oh my gosh, but... <laughs> people are losing their minds. Uh, that was just a crazy crazy situation. All right, so the game tonight, Bobby. I'm gonna give you the quick Temple scatter report. They average 29 three pointers a game. They beat Wichita State 68-61. They shot 37 threes. 37. I think they made nine. They're only shooting 30.4% as a team from three-point range. But as you know, if you shoot a lot of threes, you're going to get a lot of long rebounds. So basically that's their game. Jack up three, get the rebound, jack up another three. So they kill teams with second-chance points. Heiser Miller is averaging 17 a game. He has taken 118 of those threes. Temple has taken 434 as a team. He's only made 26.3%, but he's averaging 17 a game because he also gets to the free throw line a good amount. They got three or four guys shooting 35% and over from three-point range. Basically, everybody on the team can shoot three. So it's going to be kind of an interesting matchup, I think, tonight in Philly. Yeah, I think watch this be the game they shoot like 46%. That's, I mean, that's how it always works against ECU, right? Yeah. I mean, if they shoot 46%, we, I mean, we may lose by 18 yeah. or whatever. So uh, I think the key is what concerns me is ECU defensively. Like we've just done, you know, I haven't been able to watch the last two games closely to see if this has improved, but you know, we have our closeout uh, defense on three pointers and, and just jump shots in general is not very good. And 
at the very minimum this game, if, we, if we're not going to close out and get a hand in the face of shooters, at least put a butt on a gut and box out and just – Butt on a gut. Yeah, butt on a gut and box out and, and secure the rebound because, you know, if they are – that's the other thing. The flip side of it, if they're hot, we could lose by 18. If they're completely just ice cold and shooting 12 13% or something like that, like, you know, we have the chance to run, run away with it. I would really like to see just some confidence back from Cam Hayes and his game as well. That, I think that's – you, you can tell he's a different level athlete, but just in the sense of scoring and stuff, he, he's missed some easy ones that I, I think he knows he can make. And, and I think as, as a basketball fan, I know that he can make and, and knowing his history a little bit. Hey, but if we don't want to allow these long rebounds, we need height on the floor. Give me Sear Malonga. Give me yeah. Callum Richards. Sear did not play last game. I don't know why. I don't get it. See, his that's the other thing that's so weird with this staff. Don't get me into it. <laughs> Go, go! It's your turn for a rant now. I don't. I just listen. I want to see the guys play with upside. If they're going to play the, if they're going to play the the bench guys, play the guys with upside. Malonga is one of those. I know he's got a lot to learn, but he can grab a rebound. He right. can dunk a basketball. Yes, he can block a <laughs> shot. He can do something. So he can look athletic on the floor. Yes. <laughs> so I get it, man. Some of these guys, they practice hard. They do the right things. I have no problem with them as people. So they're great kids, but you know you got to start developing a guy like Sear, and the only way he develops is if he plays. So give him five minutes. If he screws up, so what? I've seen plenty of other guys screw up. This is mid-major NCAA basketball. This is not upward basketball league, and no disrespect to upward. I think it's a fun league. Is the coach in that league? There you go, uh, coach of the year. Yeah, far from it. We, <laughs> we did go undefeated though. My only year coaching. But like the point is like don't just I, I get it, there is a culture aspect to it I understand but it's also a fine line like if you need to shorten your bench instead of playing some of these guys that have put good effort and practice that just and quite frankly are not as skilled like and don't need to be on the floor just shorten your bench shorten your bench like the amount of years like Duke Carolina whoever you want to refer to and you know that one of those blue bloods have had a six seven man rotation like. They make it work, and they last late into March. I mean, eventually they may run out of gas, but quite frankly, we've done nothing to think we're going to play basketball in late March. So shorten your rotation if you need to. All right, so ECU basketball has been a struggle this year. What would a win tonight, though? I don't care how ugly it is. If ECU wins a conference game on the road for the first time ever at Temple, what would that do for Bobby, who's like kind of like lukewarm on this team at best right now? Yeah, I think it, it <laughs> would it suck you back in. <laughs> it wouldn't suck me back in because I know ECU basketball too okay. well. I'll say the the temperature, that lukewarm temperature, probably rises a little bit. I mean, it shows me that you know they can be a at the very minimum a middle of the conference team. I don't know if we'll get to that Memphis FAU level. I mean, speaking of, I'm I'm kind of wondering if, when and if FAU comes back down to earth, maybe in they another cycle or two. Trending that way already, right? I mean, yeah. they really got. I could be wrong in this but my impression of FAU is they got hot at the right time last year and had a good run now granted they have some really good guard play but you know talking to people who are a lot more knowledgeable at basketball than me like if you have great guard play you can make those fun runs in the NCAA tournament so watching them against ECU like they're obviously a great team but they did not seem like a top 10 team yeah like even Memphis when they mess around with ECU like you can see the talent FAU's got three or four dudes that's just like, wow, these guys are just gamers. They're winners, but like, they can be beaten. I mean, just right. like ECU, they could have easily won that game. They choked down the stretch. Charlotte yeah. is not a great basketball team. They beat them. So 
I think Memphis is the most talented team for sure. All right, I want to give uh, again shout out to the women's team. They host UAB tonight. They are two and zero in conference play, and they they've withstood some injuries. Bobby nine and four in the year. They lost Micah Dennis and Sania Johnson are already had injuries, but Kim McNeil. You know, she has her team playing defense, and I mean, they're still top 100 net ranking, nine and four, two and on conference. So they're off to a solid start as they host UAB tonight. Yeah, that's awesome for them. Uh, it's nice to have some some really good basketball to look forward to. Um, you know, undefeated in conference, uh, they played an, uh, a fun out of conference game. You know, with South Carolina, and I thought it was really cool just having them here in Greenville and, and them coming to Minges. And um, yeah, excited to see what they can do. I hate the injuries for them though. That that that's really a bummer because I. I don't know if they're I, – I thought they could have a really special year this year, and I don't know if those injuries may uh, limit that or how much it limits that. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We will talk NFL playoff opening weekend to wrap up the show and have other final thoughts. This is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko. The 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors. Wednesday, January 10th. By the way, we are scheduled to have Savon Rebel, ECU cornerback, on the show tomorrow as part of our Team Boneyard deal through Hoist the Colors. A lot of our members raised some money for that, so looking forward to visiting with Savon. We got, uh, by the way, it is Savon Rebel. And we'll clarify that as well as the H is apparently silent. So we got to figure that out too. But. Uh, looking forward to talking with Mr. Rebel tomorrow on the show. All right, guys, NFL playoffs. It's wild card weekend. How do we feel about this being stretched over three days? I guess it's it's never a bad thing to have football Saturday, Sunday, and Monday nights. Can't really say I'm fired up for Eagles Bucks though on a Monday night. I don't know. What? Well, I guess let's do this. What, what, Bobby? What's your excitement level overall for Wild Card Weekend? Honestly, pretty low. Yeah. Uh, looking at the matchups here, like you know, I am excited to see C.J. Stroud with the Texans. But outside of that, like maybe the Sunday night game with the Lions Rams, and then the Cowboys Packers. I want to see do the Cowboys show up or do they just freaking lay an egg to Jordan Love and the and the Packers? Yeah, the matchups are great. Philip, what do you think? I'm a little higher than Bobby, I think, solely because there's not a lot of sexy matchups other than really the, the Stafford returning to Detroit. However, this has been the most parody NFL season ever, so I think we're going to get something wild. Just don't know what it is. We're going to get something we didn't see coming, and the optimism of that, I guess, has me a little high, but I'm definitely excited for the divisional round. I think once the divisional round rolls in, it's it's going to be exciting. But you know, to your point, Bobby, it is these wild card teams are not nearly at the level of a lot of the divisional winners. The exception maybe the four or five games, but yeah, like Pittsburgh, I don't think is very good. Uh, whoever the Chiefs are playing, well, the Dolphins are solid, I guess. But you know, but the Dolphins have to go to Kansas City, and it's going to be like four degrees. Yeah, I mean, they're going to get just absolutely walloped. And haven't the Patriots beat more teams with a winning record than the Dolphins have? I believe the Patriots have beaten two with a winning record, and the Dolphins only beat one team with a winning record. Yeah, exactly. Heck, the Cardinals have how many wins over teams with winning records? They beat the Steelers, they beat the Cowboys, they beat the Eagles, so definitely the Cardinals. But, yeah, I think the Patriots have too because they beat Pittsburgh and I can't remember. Somebody else good. Dude, how about Baker Mayfield probably winning a playoff game in Tampa? Like I, I could lose. see them easily beating the Eagles. 
I, I wouldn't what, ha- say what happened with the Eagles? Yeah, dude, uh, I have like, no idea. I checked this. I, I watched it very little Sunday because I was covering the game, the basketball game. They got stomped by the Giants. Like, what happened? Well, it got ugly early, and then I know Jalen Hurts like did something to his middle finger on his throwing hand, and then at some point AJ Brown got hurt, and I haven't heard what exactly his injury is, but I know they they dealt with that. But I mean, they were on the way to losing even before Hurts got injured. Yeah, they were down like 24 to nothing when he got hurt. I mean, they fell from grace, and the Cowboys obviously get to play at, at home now, which makes such a big difference for them. Yeah, if I had to pick a game I'm most excited about, I think I'm going to go Rams-Lions just with the Stafford return. The Lions, is this their first home playoff game at Ford Field, I heard? Is Dude, that correct? Insane. So, it was, so it was the first home game since the 93 season. I don't know when they tore down the Silver Dome, to be honest. That's 30 years, three decades. Yeah. Holy smokes. Ford Field. Let's do a quick Google search on the air. Ford Field opened August 24, 2002. So, yeah, first home playoff game in Ford Field history. And it would be ultra cruel if Stafford goes back there and just lights them up. Dude, I, I'm on the Lions train right now. That's who I want to, you know, whatever trade you're on usually falls apart. Oh, I so. know. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking wheels so. and bolts are flying everywhere. Carts are tipping over. So, Rams, Rams get it done. Yeah, I know Stafford's not from there, but I view him as kind of the hometown guy because he was there so long. The only playoff game that's ever been played there was Super Bowl 40. Jerome Bettis, the local kid, comes back, wins his last game, wins the Super Bowl. I don't know. Does that make you? Make me lean Stafford. I, I'm just I'm just spitballing here. I don't know. Steelers somehow at the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is Mike Tomlin like? I guess he's a good coach, but they also lose just to terrible teams. Steelers are they just drive me crazy, dude. It's so seventeen consecutive years not having a losing record. Like how hard that is to do in the NFL, and then you think about it. Like, I mean, the last five years or so, like, that quarterback position it's has been just terrible. been malpractice almost. Like, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger towards the end of his career was just buns. And then you got Trubisky and then, you know, small hands, Kenny Pickett's not doing great. Like, I mean, they're a team that are going to have to take a shot at a good quarterback here soon. Well, and on top of that, they've played in a tough division during that time. It'd be different if their division was dog water. But That's you've true. had the Ravens, you have the Bengals in the middle of the Super Bowl, and even the Browns over the last five years have been consistently decent, at least for the Browns they have been. I think I'm all in on the Bills this year. I like teams that kind of face adversity midseason, overcome that, and then they kind of are hot going into the playoffs. And Buffalo feels like that to me. They ended up winning the division, so they'll obviously play at home this weekend. I mean, they played Pittsburgh. I just – I feel like this is Josh Allen's year. I think Kansas City is not very good, so they'll probably beat the Dolphins. But I, I like Buffalo, and I, and I think Buffalo can beat Baltimore if it comes down to it. Yeah, I I like Baltimore. Uh, that's kind of who I think runs away with it. You know who I'm not on is the Chiefs. The Chiefs have just they turned into awful. my least favorite team. Uh, I think all that stuff with the offsides play with Tony and stuff, the way they reacted to that, like, I don't know. I got really salty, more so on Patrick Mahomes than anyone. I just thought, like, his his excuse wasn't even a valid one. Like, he was offsides, but you don't call it. No, you do call it. Like, he broke the rules. He was offsides. He was like, offsides. Like, so this, how that all ended and stuff, and, and obviously all the recent success with the Chiefs, I am not a Chiefs fan. As a Broncos fan, I am with you 100%. NFL playoffs this weekend. Get your peacock ready. Dolphins Chiefs on Saturday. The game will be streamed there. All right, Bobby, appreciate the 
inside today and the help, man. It's been a bit of a struggle for me, so appreciate you chiming in. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Uh, hope you start feeling better, and hopefully I can get over this sinus infection or whatever it may One be. One day. Uh, Philip, appreciate you. As always, we'll be back tomorrow with Savant Rebel. Hoist the colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon.